Welcome to Culture Eats Strategy. Eats Strategy. With your host, entrepreneur Jamie J. Jamie J. On this podcast, we unpack the most powerful, intangible culture. Culture. Culture is way more than a mission statement or words on a wall. It's how a company behaves. It's what informs every decision, action, and reaction. Culture is the invisible hand, the true north that guides every organization. And if you create a legendary culture, you will build a legendary company. A legendary company. Now, here he is, Jamie J. Hey there, it's Jamie J with Culture Eat Strategy. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, if you've heard the past couple episodes and they're really resonating with you, uh, please go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and a review. Um, if it's not five stars, it's four stars or three stars, by all means, I invite you to leave an honest review and rating of the show. Really appreciate it because that lets me know where I need to improve. And if you hear any of our guests that resonate with you, please let me know. I want to hear from you and I want to let them know uh, that you are uh, just digging the information that we're, we're going over. And today, as you know, we have Jonathan Fair. Clow, and uh, he founded the Resicom Group to help retailers optimize the way they improve and maintain their store environment. And under his leadership, the company has evolved from a local construction company into an international provider of facility management and construction services. And naturally curious, John spends his time developing better questions to find the uncommon sense of a situation. And I love that. You know I love this. He even goes on to say, by improving his questions, he's been able to create better answers to the challenges of developing people, evolving their processes, and protecting the value delivered. I think this is amazing because John's specialty, specialties include listening without prejudice, activating ideas, and mentoring without bias. So he's on a mission to help businesses protect their brands at all touch points throughout their physical facilities. Uh, without any further ado, please allow me to introduce you to John Fairclough. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm super pumped to talk to you. I know we just finished a little bit of a in our pre-interview there, talking and learning a little bit more about you and about what you have going on. And you are just enjoying life and killing it. And I apologize. I know you are a little bit under the weather, but thank you for being a trooper and still showing up. I wonder if maybe you can tell us a little bit more about you. Oh, sure. Well, I'm a dad of uh, four. Um, I, I spend a lot of time trying to frustrate and aggravate them for my own uh, sanity's uh, sake. Um, if, if anybody has children out there, I think they know what I mean. Um, I, I really center my life on, on my faith, and I, I really enjoy uh, the intensity of difficult work. I love it. The, the bigger the challenge, the more, the more engaged I get. Um, and I like accomplishing things with people. So it's it's really cool to to take something on and and uh, let the sh the strengths of other people shine through in in whatever we we put forth. And I certainly like it when my when my uh, strengths shine, and I, I like it when when other other people's do as well. And it's a lot of fun uh, doing great work. That's for sure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we I I think I think it's in the nature of the entrepreneur to love uh, extremely challenging times or circumstance. Um. 20 years ago, you founded the Resicon Group. Um, what did, how did that come to be? 
I used to work um, for a couple of different uh, family members that own different types of uh, painting companies or, or, or uh, also were painting companies and uh, you know, maybe another trade or two drywall and, and stuff like that. And I worked for them for a while and I worked with one uncle very closely and uh, he really gave me my shot and uh, I, I, I grew his company. We, I learned a lot from him and uh, we just got to a point where it, uh, it was better for me to leave uh, for him and for myself. And I went on my own, didn't know what was going to happen, but I was all in and, um, you know, never looked back and super appreciative of what he did for me. Um, and super, super grateful for what I've been blessed with. Oh, fantastic. Well, congratulations for, uh, taking the step out there. It's now 20 years later. Um, what do you see different now than when you first started? Well, um, so many different things and then something's just really stayed the same. But my, my big challenge back then was finding a way for me to matter and uh, to, mm. to, to be relevant. And as crazy as it sounds, I, I grew up really super poor. Um, we, we got our food from food pantries. We didn't have any electricity, which means no refrigerator. And, you know, you kind of followed all the way through, no telephone, no car. And my, my mom just struggled raising us. And so there was a lot of resilience that kind of grew out of this adversity, but there was this missing piece that, that was like, Hey, you really matter. Like, you know, what you, what you think and how you feel. And that, that part of it really wasn't super present because we were just, we were just scraping by to just to eat and, and just to, just to survive. So kind of going through that, I mean, that, that was great preparation for entrepreneurship. So I've always looked at people a certain way and, and, and wanted to, to see the, the good in them and, and that because I didn't really have that. I didn't have, no one really wanted to hear what the poorest kid in the school said. Like my siblings mm-hmm. and I, like, we were the poorest kid in the school in a, in a very poor area. No one really cares about what they have to say. Or, you know, we, we went to school, we probably smelled bad. You know, we, yeah. we just didn't have, my mom couldn't even, she couldn't afford anything. So th- there was this part that, hey, you know, people matter and their circumstances uh, might mask their value. And that's what happened to us. And so we, as it says now, all of my siblings are successful. They, you know, they're, they're, they're leading great lives and have happy lives and, you know, just great marriages, great, great kids. A lot of, ton- so many good things came out of it. But so, so that difficult time, uh, and, and having that really stayed with me that, that people's value is often masked by things that really don't matter. And so that stayed with me. But the, the big change for me is to recognize my, you know, what my God-given strengths are and how, how those really people aim to, to handicap it. And I never really understood it because people say I'm a bear. And I don't like being compared to a beast, but I'm a bear, you know, and, you know, and, and so then, okay, well, now I'm going to, I'm going to be a little nicer. Like I, I started working in a way where people couldn't say that I was a bear, but I am a bear. You know, I take on the difficult challenges and I want to crush them and I don't want to let them, you know, I don't want to let my teeth out of them once I got, once I'm in them. And, yeah. and I think the world needs that kind of person. And when I'm hand, when I'm handcuffed, like I, I always say if people want to fight you know, in a, in a passive aggressive way, you know, that that's no good for me. But when they, when, when they want to really go at it, 
well, now they're finally playing my game. You know, now we're finally yeah. able to, I'm able to be me, you know, and let's, let's, we don't have to, to dance around it. So I would say that part of letting my, of understanding what my strengths are and, let, and letting them show, even if it's a little controversial, um, that has been a big lesson. And, and the most important one, I believe in terms of management has been to, to only manage people or if I'm going to hire them to work with me, only manage people that I really care about. Mm-hmm. And if I don't care about them, I, I've disqualified myself from being their manager. Like I can't manage someone that I don't like because managing them requires me to, to move all in, like to really accompany them. And much like my child, my child would be, would be super unhappy or, or, or like a disaster if she didn't believe that I, lo- that I saw the good in her or she didn't believe that, that I wanted her to get better or she didn't believe that I was there cheering her on to get better. Well, mm. translate that over to work, it's the same thing. And if the manager you know, doesn't have that kind of approach to their people, well, there's so much discouragement that comes from it. So, so for me, a huge lesson has been do not hire anybody you do not want to manage. You're, like, you're not going to move all in to help. And, you know, just kind of a piece for you there. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I, I think, um, slow, what is that? Slow to hire, quick to fire type thing. Um, this, this is a great transition into um, company culture, or I, I should stress good company or a kind company culture. I think you can be a bear <laughs> and really sink your teeth into stuff, but I think you can still uh, be a good leader um, and people will respect you um, because one of the things I think that you're a big believer in is listening. Um, as, as you said here, uh, your specialty includes listening without prejudice, activating ideas, and mentoring without bias. I love that. For sure. Thank you. Thank you for sure. I mean, we, we want to take on the challenges. Uh, we want to take on the challenges, but if we get too too caught up with the politics of it, nothing's going to happen, right? Like, exactly. So, so when we give each other, the same way people want me to, to give them enough space to allow them to succeed and give them grace, you know, get, give them space and grace, um, I, I can expect space and grace too. Like, let me do what I need to do, like, you know, and, and I think that's the part of it where, uh, um, I, I see a lot of people get lost in the culture world about things that look politically correct versus things that look politi- politically incorrect. And the ones that are politically incorrect are put into this category of being bad when really they're only politically incorrect. They're not incorrect. <laughs> they're just that <laughs> narrow piece of it, you know, and allowing someone to be, be the person that they are. And, you know, sometimes that's you know, just the way that it is, but it takes different types of strengths to, to get through different times, you know, we, we need someone that's strong to fight off the intruder, but we need someone that's soft to nurture someone. But if you're looking for me to be the nurturer, right, we've got roles mixed up here. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> that warm and fuzzy teddy bear, you know? You, well, I, I really, that, that's something I can completely uh, get on board with. So when I'm growing my company, I look for people that are strong in certain areas that I'm weak. And, and uh, like you said, it, it, 
you were searching for your importance, your place in life uh, when you were younger. And I'd love to ask another question about that. <laughs> Hopefully I remember. But when you were talking about that, I was kind of thinking the same thing. It was hard for me to admit that, hey, I, that wasn't a good strong suit of mine. <laughs> and I, I uh, in particular details, oh, terrible at details. But I had to go out and find somebody that was really good at details and also find somebody at the same time that bought into um, our culture, right? There's a certain way that I wanted to run this company. And I know I can always have someone else that's going to be better in certain things and be able to improve it. But I wanted them to, like you said, I wanted, I wanted to like them, right? And I wonder, what is it that you look for um, when you're growing your team, when you're growing your company, um, perhaps even uh, with your, you know, the, the private equity, what do you look for um, to make sure that it's someone that you're going to like to work with? Well, I, I believe that, I mean, if we look at the human body, we got all these different parts, right? And in your pinky toenail, there's nothing like your knee, you know, so there's, there's got to be some diversity as to, you know, what makes up the whole. Um, but the things that I believe that are core are, um, are really come down to like our, our core values. And mm-hmm. if those things, if those things are present, then the, the nuances are fine because we, we're looking for diversity. We, we have some clients that are super analytical and then we have other clients that are just super like, let's say extroverts. Well, those extroverts do not want to hang out with the, 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 the analytical person. So it's mm-hmm. not like, Oh, well, this person is, this person's full of energy and life and they're a great salesperson. Yeah, they're, they're a great salesperson for someone who likes to interact with that kind of person, but not for the guy who's super analytically driven, like, like a lot of procurement professionals. And if those are who's ultimately buying our services, um, maybe we don't pair them up with, with the, the guy that really is, uh, the life of the party. So I believe that diversity is there, but it really, it all comes down to if they have our, our, our core values, um, or if, you know, if they get it, they want it and they have the capacity for it, then, you know, I'm all in they're the right kind of person for us. Yeah, that's fantastic. So over the, over the, uh, uh, about how, how big is your team there? So uh, we have we have a bunch of companies, um, but the 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 one that does the the most work, uh, we have maybe say fifty people that are managing projects that are getting done by hundreds of technicians. So we we have a bunch of project managers that are managing. Uh, each of them is managing, uh, you know, a, a bunch of different crews that are doing things. So our our project management and management team is like 50 and then the technicians that are doing the work in the field are uh, hundreds. So one of your, thank you for sharing that. One of your um, challenges is developing people and evolving their processes. How do you manage an organization that large? Um, and c- Cause processes need to consistently be updated, right? Sure. How, how sure. do you well, so, Yeah, I mean, I think there's the, there's that whole part of, of looking at the work through the lens of, of the buyer. And so by completing regular reviews of the account, um, so we're looking for anything 
so we want to take a look at what are the trends? What are we getting more of? What are we getting less of? How are our scores trending? Uh, you know, where, where are things? So we, we like to have this sort of data because then we look at the data and, and say, okay, what is the data telling us? And then how do we respond to that? And so we have a, basically like a monthly review of, the, of an account, but the whole purpose of the review is not the report, but rather what are we, what are we conveying to the team? And you know, what's the message that we're conveying to the client? And, and in this regular feedback uh, platform with the client and with our internal team, we're able to learn a lot. And that's how you know, we start to, to, to gain these insights. Like, hey, it would be, it would be kind of cool if you could, instead of updating each, like we have, every month we do like 3,000 projects, okay? So, so mm-hmm. sometimes there's a block, sometimes there's a block of, of 100 projects that are all kind of related, um, that are all part of one, you know, there's a larger project that's 100 smaller projects within it. Well, when that's the case, um, working with one of our clients, we said, hey, what if we gave you an update instead of on each project the way that you have it? What if we just put it all in a in an online um, spreadsheet of sorts and, and we color code it to anything that's red, you need to, 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 to look at right away. Anything that's yellow, there's information that you should know in there, but it's not drastic. And then anything that's green, everything's on track and then allow you to sort it accordingly. And then that way, if you only have a limited amount of time, you can go through the most pressing things first and then the informative things next. And then anything you want to know about the good projects, you're able to dive in. And they loved it. And then that, so we did this 10 years ago and that's evolved into being a great tool for us to update in bulk to a client. Uh, even if they have a software system that, that organizes everything for them, having this quick visible piece on it um, has helped them. Oh, that's it, fantastic. It's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, I love systems and processes and workflows. I kind of geek out on that stuff. Um, and I have this mantra, do something as if it's the last time I'm ever going to do it. So I always write down things. At least that's how I started. But with you at being at, at, a, at a more graduated uh, place and point in time in, in your business, I could just see, oh my gosh, how what an incredible uh, feat that is. So incredible accomplishment. So uh, hats off to you there for, for um, 20 years. You, you, that's, you don't hear that too often. Thank you. Um, what do you mean by listening without prejudice and activating ideas? Well, a lot of times when, uh, when there's an important distinction for me for, for people and uh, when, when they're giving me information and I like the facts kept separate from someone's opinion. And, and if we listen to people speak to us, a lot of times they're a blend and they, they take the facts that support their opinion and they just kind of give you that part of it. And so like, I like to know, Hey, what, what's the situation? And then I like to know, what do you think we should do about it rather than having those combined? And, and so like listening without prejudice, um, uh, where we're, where we're going with that is, or, or without, you know, you can kind of look at both of those two things together with prejudice and bias. We're, we're looking at, we're, like, is my mind open enough to to find the best solution here, or am I um, advocating for a certain solution? And so there's just that little pause that says, okay, what is the best thing for us to do here? It's just a like, it's just a pause. What's the best thing for us to do here, and why? 
and then kind of going through something rather than saying, hey, I think we should spend more money in this area. Now the person comes with, with an item around the area, hey, let's go ahead and spend that, you know, because I think it's going to be good for us. Well, why? I mean, I know you like that idea, but what did it compete with? And then how did it win in its competition? And what, what I found is that a lot of times people get into a groove, a rhythm, and they make decisions fast. And when mm-hmm. they make the decisions fast, they, they haven't stopped to think about them. So, so we like people to, to be in the habit of making good decisions. So we want to build that habit that says, hey, like, let, let examine that and then make a case for it. Not like, hey, your job's on the line and you're going to need to answer for it. Uh, and it's especially not CYA, which I think is the most destructive thing in business because oh. it's not looking out for the interests of the uh, of the overall group. It's looking out for the interests of a person. See, I say my value to, to Resicom is my value of Resicom. And since I hold it in such high regard, I'm going to make decisions that make it obvious that I care about the company. Well, if I operated in a way that covered my behind and exposing the company, I would forfeit the, 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 the right to be in charge of this company because I'm not putting the company first. It doesn't have the level of priority that it needs. Mm-hmm. So when, when people are making decisions, a lot of times they're going to go into to, to something that it's just going to be knee-jerk. And we want that knee-jerk to be, to, to be one that, that's sound, where, hey, I've removed myself, what, I, what I'm thinking about it or what, what I wanted you know, before the, the discussion began. I'm listening to, to, to learn, and then it's going to affirm what I, what I was thinking already, or maybe it's going to modify it. But there's no chance for modification when I'm advocating. So yeah. I've got to keep my mind open on that. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, um, so how about activating ideas? Well, so, so once, something is, uh, once something is solved, like, hey, this is a great thing for us to do, the, the next piece is to really figure out how do, how do we get people motivated to make the change? And we just, we like habits because we're comfortable in habits. We know, we know what the outcome is yeah. going to be, even if it's a bad situation. Studies have been shown, that have shown this for, for years that, that people stay in a bad situation, but, you know, they don't, there, there's, there's different differences in opinion on why, but it really comes down to the people know that they can survive it, Right. Well, right. how do we get them motivated to, to make the change? And um, so we get them to start thinking about that, getting excited about what that's going to do for, for, for everyone uh, or for the person individually or for the team if they're responsible for a group, you know, making it personal for them. And then removing the obstacles, right? Because there's all kinds of things in the way. One of the biggest things in the way of, of improvement is success. And how do you go to something that's successful and then say, we're going to change it. Well, don't break, don't, don't change what's not broken. Right. You know, and you kind of get into this, you know, it doesn't sound very pragmatic. And, uh, and, and that's where I get into that, like politically corrected. It doesn't sound pragmatic. So someone can make a case that, that you're a dummy for doing it. And now I'm afraid of people thinking that I'm a dummy. So now yeah. I'm not going to make the change because I can't be criticized. And now I'm safe, but I'm left with a company with a weaker process than possible simply because my fear of being ridiculed by someone out comes the bear ready to, ready to pounce <laughs> on, on, on that mediocrity, you know, and, and say, no, this is what's going to happen here. Well, you, that's one of the biggest challenge. Um, I, I left corporate America 
for, I believe, that very reason. Um, I, felt, I felt uncomfortable um, voicing my opinion. Uh, I felt like I would be ridiculed or I, I just didn't. And it was, it was just not a good environment for me. I'm not saying corporate America is a bad place. I'm not saying that. <laughs> for me, it didn't work. And I think that was a big reason. And I think that's why this particular company um, saw such huge t- turnover. Um, it, sure. it was scary to, to come up with an idea. And no one asked well, questions. I mean, a band, a band, manager, a band manager is so destructive, right? I mean, oh. it's so destructive. Oh, it was... It was terrible, um, and I, but I, but I think too. If you go back to your your childhood, in 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 wanting to be um, taken seriously, um, a lot of people could have easily gone in another direction than what you chose to do, and and could have been that bad manager. So, for you to come with that kind of um, background as as a child to where you are now even though you are a bear or so <laughs> when, when things need to happen you're there um it's really it's really uh respectable to not only number one hear the way that you talk about your passion obviously you're passionate about what you're doing but but i mean you're a smart fella i mean you you get it otherwise the company wouldn't be where it's at today Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's great. How do um, before we before we wrap up here? How do people uh, learn more about you? And um, I want to dive into a little bit about what you're doing. I think it's kind of neat, uh, the private equity end of things. But how do the, how do people get in touch with you or learn more about you? Sure. The best way is probably to email me at john at johnfairquell dot com, and uh, you know, just start a conversation with me. Um, if I'm on the I'm on LinkedIn. If someone wants to connect with me there, I'm, I'm in the Chicago area. So there's a handful of other uh, Chicago, uh, John Fairquells out there, but none in Chicago, and um, none that look like a bear either. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, they, I mean, just reach out and, and start a conversation. We're looking to invest money in small companies that are looking to to, to grow, but um, if some sort of a stumbling block, whether they don't have a capital or they know that they, they should be uh, accomplishing a whole lot more, but just haven't been able to figure out the code. We'd love a crack at it and uh, you know, take a look at it and, and see if it was something that we would be interested in getting involved in and, and helping that, that business and that person uh, do really, really well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Cause you use a lot of your, your same principles um, for what you've used in these various other entities that you've, you've grown um, and is there any kind of um, limitations? Are you looking, is it, is it uh, regional uh, companies that you're looking kind of close to where you're at? Or is there any type of industry in particular that you're um, looking to entertain? Sure, great point. So uh, we like businesses that are close to us uh, that are, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, any industry that's kind of close to us, we, we're open to take a look at it. We have a, a, a large uh, leadership team that's, got a lot of experience in a bunch of different areas. So we're pretty diverse there um, as far as, and, but kind of close by so we can keep our eyes on and really help, uh, you know, be there to accompany that business in its growth. If, if it's in the facilities world uh, where, where Resicom is, uh, that, that company can be based anywhere. Uh, we, we know that business. We know how to manage from afar. We've, we have offices in different cities across the U.S. We've had uh, 
offices in Canada. So we, we know how to manage that remote and, and grow that remotely. So we're interested in facilities companies anywhere. And then uh, other businesses in the Chicago market uh, would be great if that's where they're based out of. Perfect. And if somebody, the, the perfect uh, person that came, came to you right now and they said, hey, I would love to learn a little bit more about uh, the, your, your private equity group. This is what I do. Um, where would they be in their journey, uh, business journey? So they could be, say, anywhere under under 50 employees, but more than a couple of employees, like, say, at least three employees and um, around, up to, like, 50, um, just for the amount of capital. When the companies are over 50 uh, and, and they need capital, they, they usually need a ton of capital, and we're not in a position to to in, invest millions and millions of dollars in anybody at this point. We, we like the, the smaller the smaller deals, help them grow, get mm-hmm. them to where they need to be. So anywhere from, from a handful to say 50 employees. Um, and then I would say where they have uh, some, some things that are, are really strong, like we're not looking to catch any falling knives. Uh, we're looking for, for, you know, areas that are really strong, but they, the, the person might be great in, in that subject matter, but they don't have the strength across the board in maybe accounting, uh, maybe they don't have the capital or the credit to, 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 to seize opportunities, or uh, they don't really know who their great, the, their best customers are or, or how to target that market. We're able to help them by bringing those, that expertise to the table in addition to the capital and, and help the business grow. And I think if you look at that involvement, that accompaniment, that's why we're looking for, for companies that are uh, in and around Chicago because uh, it, that takes some face-to-face interactions. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, John, thank you so much uh, for taking the time, even though you're feeling a bit under the weather. I really appreciate it. Your insight has been unbelievable. So thank you so much for sharing that in your story. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And uh, this was great. Uh, if you ever want me back, uh, consider me in. Oh, heck yeah. Done deal. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap? Just, just thank you. It really is a privilege to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. Hold on the line just one second. I'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, you've been listening to my conversation today with John Fairclough from the Resicon, Resicom group. And you can learn more by going to resicomonline.com uh, forward slash about. And you can also, if you want to get in touch with John, you can go to john at johnfairclough.com. And that's F-A-I-R-C-L-O-U-G-H.com. We'll also put it in the show notes there. Uh, and I hope you really enjoyed this. Um, it, this is this is one of those episodes where uh, I might recommend listening through and then going back and re-listening to it because there's a lot of golden gems in there and I don't want you to miss out on them. Uh, this is uh, a great conversation. So I cannot thank John enough for taking his time today. My name is Jamie J, host of Culture Eats Strategy, where we do lead with kindness and we lead well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day and we'll talk to you soon.